Welcome to The Unfiltered Map. I'm Elizabeth Lewis, and alongside some of my dearest friends, we've created the show so women have a space to have unfiltered, extremely raw, and insanely real conversations. Nothing is off limits here. This space is for moms who want to talk about everything, to dive into conversations we all deeply desire to have, but fear what others may think of us. This is your invitation to pull up a seat in a judgment-free zone and have a little heart-to-heart. Now, let's get unfiltered. This is a Soul Fire production. We're diving deep into the depths of postpartum. There's so much that happens once that sweet little babe arrives and for many months after. And for some years to follow. Here's the thing. We all experience that postpartum phase so differently. And we need to normalize every single part of it. We're incredibly honored to have the one and only Katie Jones join us in this episode as she shares her journey with postpartum psychosis and anxiety accompanied by a hospital stay. Her bravery is unmatched as she uses her story to support and empower other women. Then I'm over here sharing the shame and guilt that came with my own battle with postpartum depression. One thing I've learned, (laughs) it doesn't discriminate and it sure as hell doesn't matter how many kids you've had. It's one of those things that shows up uninvited and rocks your world beyond words. So pull up a seat and let's get unfiltered. Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lewis. And today you get Brooke, myself, and a very special guest, Katie Jones, is joining us today. And this episode is dedicated to postpartum. So anything that comes with The postpartum stage of giving birth to a baby and particularly what we're talking about is, you know, well, a multitudinous amount of things, but postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum psychosis, but really the stigma around postpartum period, anything postpartum. So, you know, I have my own story with postpartum, but I'm going to let Katie introduce herself so you guys can get to know her. You might remember her from season one if you've been with us for a while. And if you haven't, obviously a lot has happened since that season. So we'll go ahead and let her introduce herself and go from there. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Jones. I get the honor of working with Beth and Brooke occasionally, which is really exciting. Um, I do a lot of different things really, but here today to talk about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And I'm just really excited to sit down with you guys today. So tell us how many kids do you have? Tell everyone how many kids you have. Yes, I have three kids. They are seven, five, and two. My older two are in elementary school right now. And My youngest is just chilling at home with us. I love that. Well, between us. Okay. So I have four, you have three and Brooke has three, her side. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. We have a lot of kids combined. Technically seven. Okay. Seven. Oh yeah. Cause you have bonus children. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously, so a little kind of where this really started is, I had postpartum depression. It didn't have postpartum well that I know of. So I really want to specify that, that I know of with any of my children, except my fourth. And really it was, I think a huge onset of 
I did not deal with my parents' grief or anything that came with my parents' grief. I just kind of did what I do best and suppressed it and moved on. And I think that I was in denial for a really long time. And I think there was a lot of shame and guilt that came with the fact that I might have postpartum depression and why didn't I have it that I knew of with my other three children. But this was a completely different experience for me in the sense that I remember like there was, you know, obviously I feel like with childbirth, there's such a wave of emotions, but this was, it felt different. But again, I denied it for so long. I think other people around me knew it, but people were so sensitive to it thinking that maybe it was, you know, I was still grieving the death of my parents. Maybe it was, you know, several other things, but not really ever asking me if it was postpartum. And then the turning point for me really happened when like my husband, we were supposed to be going to my husband's sisters and she was at the time living in Virginia. So he came home and he's like, I forget what happened. Like I just spent the whole morning cleaning the house and he came home and the kids just like ran through the house and trashed it. And I remember he was getting every, all the kids into the car and I just sat there and I cried and he came in and he was like, what's the matter? You know? And I was like, I just don't know what's wrong. I'm just, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so stressed. I'm so, you know, like just kept going down this list of things. And I think also really angry with him and I don't know why. And so I remember we got into the car and we were driving, it was a long drive and we get like halfway there. And he looks at me, he goes, do you mind driving? I'm really tired. And I was like, "Uh, uh, you're really tired. You're, you're really tired. I'm really tired. Like I really haven't slept. I'm really tired. And I just remember just being so angry inside. And so anyways, we stop over. He's just acting like nothing's wrong. Like he's tired. Like we're just going to carry on. He's tired. We get into the car and we're driving off and we're like going through Pennsylvania. You know, it's really hilly. Like it's just mountains, all kinds of stuff. And I remember I had this moment, it just flashed and it was just like, you could just go off the side of that mountain and like, you wouldn't have to worry about anything. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I need to get help. And that was kind of like the turning point for me of recognizing that I had something wrong with me. But the interesting part about that is I think that other people knew something was wrong, but nobody wanted to say anything because when I called my OB and he referred me to actually a therapist, Katie and I both see now, he said to me, you know, I was wondering, he goes, I was wondering when you were going to call. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah. He said, you know, when I saw you for your appointment, you were like, I'm good. And I think I was good because I didn't know how else to be because I was confused on what I was feeling because of the death of my parents. I'm like, is it this? Is it that? Like, what exactly is it? But he was like, it just seemed like he knew that maybe something was wrong, but didn't address it. And then left me in this position to kind of feel alone, you know, like into that, that postpartum phase of things, right? Brooke, like what do they consider? Like six weeks you go in for your checkup and really they're just kind of wipe their hands clean of you. And the interesting part about that is he gave me a referral to three different people who's like specialized in postpartum. I called one, her voicemail was full. I called the second one, her, she went to voicemail. I left a message. And then finally I got to Joanne who was like my, like, I literally believe she saved my life. And like, I think like she instantly answered. It wasn't even a question. And when I got home, she fit me right in. But I never heard from those two people that I left messages with. Like I was, I explained to like the position I was in 
and they never called me back, which was like a whole nother situation where I was like, oh, okay. So there's help out there that they refer us to, but there's not actually, most people actually don't call you back or don't obviously have the space. So someone could have called me back and said, Hey, we actually are booked. Let me give you a referral or let me, you know, just like, I I just was in such a vulnerable place. I think it's, it's so hard because the professionals that we see, you know, right after labor, whether it's in the recovery room or your first OB visit after you have a baby or the first pediatrician visit when they are, you know, they give you that scale and you're supposed to tell them you, you know, basically about your mood. And sometimes they ask you about it and sometimes they just hand you the piece of paper and don't ever go over it. They don't understand the impact that they have on your motherhood journey from that point on. Right. Mm-hmm. So your doctor saw something was off and just didn't say anything. Like what, what if you never came to him? Like, what if you never spoke up? What if you never said yeah. anything? You know, I went to a postpartum visit with my last pregnancy and I actually was doing really well. Like I didn't have any postpartum depression or anxiety with Indy, but I have previous birth trauma and her birth was a little scary at first. And the midwife that I saw was not the one who delivered her. And she walks in. And before I can even say anything, she's like, oh, yeah, like, it looks like your birth went great and everything is great. How are you feeling? And immediately I was like, I I felt shut down. Like, I couldn't say anything negative or actually, like, my experience was a little different than what you're saying. And I left there going, man, I'm really glad I'm not struggling right now. And I work in perinatal mental health and like no resources and things, because if I were coming in there and I did have postpartum depression, no matter what kind of birth I had, I would have not wanted to share. If I'd gotten up the courage to like, I'm going to say something in this appointment and someone walks in and just already sets the tone for what it's going to be. And telling me what my birth was when that person was not even there reading it on a chart. Yeah. It was so off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting when we talk about, I have, first of all, never had a provider ask me how I'm doing. It's always been that chart, you know, where you like circle the one to 10 or whatever. You guys, like, do you guys feel like this? I'm, I know I lied on those charts because. Same. I felt like I was like, okay, maybe I'm borderline struggling, but I can handle this. Like I had this attitude of like, I can do it myself because I didn't feel like, I don't know. I guess I kind of was like, well, what are my providers actually going to do for me? Because no one had ever had a conversation about what could be done. So I was like, hey, (laughs) it's great. It's fine. Like, Uh, What do I have to put so that you don't like, so you don't flag me basically, which is what is flagging and what is flagging mean, right? Like there's such a a negative connotation around that of like, Ooh, these are red flags Mm -hmm. or your score indicates that there's an issue and there's so much shame, even with filling out a piece of paper, you know, and some, I mean, one of the questions is so dumb, like it's how much sleep you get. You have a newborn. You're not getting sleep. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I, and this is where I think too, in a similar fashion to Beth, I had, I was beyond a year postpartum 
And I just had like a regular well visit with my doctor and told her, I'm experiencing a lot of anxiety. I was still nursing at the time. And I told her, I want to wait till I'm done nursing. And then I probably need a medication. And this is where I think it's a very fine line, right? Because she said to me, okay, well, just let me know. And in my mind, I was like, okay, she thinks I can handle this. And that ended up not being the case for me. I was not able to handle it. So it's just interesting. Like I did, you know, voice and flag to myself, to my doctor. And then she was just kind of like, because I didn't specifically say, please put me on medication. She was like, well, just let me know. You know, I don't know. I don't want to blame anyone because it's no one's fault, but I think there's that's like a breakdown in our system when it comes to mental health care for mothers. Well, yeah, because I mean that they should have asked more questions, you know, like, mm-hmm. well, okay, if you think you need medication, what kind, what types of symptoms are you experiencing? Also, there are safe medications for when you're breastfeeding and, yeah. you know, a lot of people shy away from medication, you know, pregnant or breastfeeding, and there are safe medications for it. And there's a website, um, Beth, that I can give you that we can link to this show. Okay. There's a whole website where the database is literally, it will give you the facts on how a drug interacts with pregnancy and breastfeeding. I give it to clients all the time. If they're hesitant about what their psychiatrist has prescribed or what their OB has prescribed, I'm like, here, here's the information. You can find it for yourself. And these people are educated in this, you know, there is safe medications. And honestly, the best thing for your baby is that you are safe and you feel safe. So let's figure out how to get you there, whether it's medication, whether it's other tools and resources, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, if you voiced that more questions should have been asked. That's a huge, you were waving the white flag. (laughs) I was. And honestly, I I'll say I didn't recognize like the postpartum depression in myself. For me, all my surface level symptoms felt like postpartum anxiety. So I guess I'll share what (laughs) happened and then it'll make a little more sense. So I had that visit with my doctor in February. Um, It was a well check. I told her just the kind of mainly anxiety type of symptoms that I was experiencing, you know, chest pressure, can't breathe, panicking, like really severe anxiety, I would say not like mild everyday anxiety, this thought that like, my children will die, or I will die. And it is just a matter of when and how it is not a matter of if, right, everything became a death scenario, even if it was a cold, it was they will develop pneumonia and die. So the really severe, what I would say is severe anxiety, mainly surrounding the health of my family. So that was going on in February. And then I like flagged my doctor, whatever, said like, I'm going to finish up nursing. And then I want to take a medication. And at that time, she didn't like... And I don't, I actually really love my doctor. Please, I hope she doesn't listen to this. I, I just think that like, this is, there is a breakdown sometimes here, right? That in what, like what you said, this, just this idea, like, 
I probably needed to be forcefully told that there was a medication that I could take while breastfeeding. And I'm sure she knew that, but I just was kind of like adamant on my path. And sometimes I think when we're talking to our doctors, well, I do feel like it should be a conversation when moms are really struggling with mental health. I was not in a place to make good decisions for my own health. Like I really wasn't. So, um, like a month later, I had gone on this like retreat and, um, it was for photography and I was like talking, most of the women, they were moms. I was talking to them and, you know, just like talking and they were like, this was the first time that someone had looked at me and gone like, you're not okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm fine. And I think this is a huge part of it too. Whereas Beth said, like people around her were like, you're not fine. And we can tell, but we don't know how to approach it. I had so normalized what was going on in my house, in my life that I made it normal for everyone around me. And Beth, she has a part in this story. So maybe she can share how I, how she felt in a minute, but I, so I went on this trip and they're like, they were really like that first flag where like, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not okay. And then um, a week later, I basically ended up having a psychotic episode and it was all built on lack of sleep, lack of nourishment. I pretty much, my daughter had very, very severe colic. So we pretty much didn't sleep for 18 months and I nursed her during that time and I never had sleeping issues before that, but I would literally sleep like one or two hours a night that entire 18 month period. I took on a lot of those nighttime hours because my husband was working and he would pick up some of the slack during the daytime, but the lack of sleep was on my end. And in my head, again, like I didn't feel this anger the same way that Beth did. Like I just took it on and I didn't ask him to help with those things. So I was hospitalized, had basically a complete mental breakdown. And when I got to the hospital, the psychiatrist was like, what do you think happens to people who don't sleep, who don't eat? What do you think happens to them? He's like, this is literally torture. Like you're torturing yourself. And he was kind of like, almost the slap in the face that I needed to be like, he was the first person to say to me, like, you can't survive like this. You are not treating yourself well. And the first person to not give me like, well, you know, when you go to the hospital, um, they don't really give you an option about medication. You have to take the medication if you want to leave the hospital, I will say. Um, yeah. But I needed that. Like I, it, it was unfortunate how it happened. And this is a whole other topic, right, of how Beth already said this, but how difficult it is to see someone who can prescribe you those medications, how difficult it may be to get into a psychiatrist and um, have someone who can help you manage those medications. But that's separate. When you go to the hospital, it happens very fast, my friends. They're like, (laughs) obviously. So I think when looking back at it, I also was very much someone on the outside of this, like, 
how did how does that happen to moms? Um, that will never happen to me. Mm-hmm. And how could you ever think about killing yourself? How could you have children? Like how, you know, obviously it's very judgmental. <laughs> like, but when you're in it and then you're on the other side of it, I I guess right now my biggest thing is that it can happen to anyone, literally anyone that you can end up having a mental breakdown where you think that you should kill yourself or you're, you would be better off. Your children would be better off without you. And like, that's a fact. So I'll circle back to this. When I was saying, like, I think for me, part of my journey was that I had hidden it very well. So I called Beth when I was on the way to the hospital and I guess I'll let you share because I actually don't think I've ever asked you really. I think I wasn't prepared to ask you um, how you felt when I called you. Well, it's interesting too, because she says like other people didn't notice and also something about her since I've known her is like, she will run herself ragged for everybody else. And so like for me, like witnessing you in it, because obviously I was around when you had Arlo, right? You applied for the position with Detroit Mom after you had had Arlo. And then obviously being there for the entire time and knowing you and witnessing you through, you know, Lenny's pregnancy and birth is, I think it was hard to tell, but I think the thing is like, here's the thing too. If you come to me and you work for me, your gift for me is therapy. Hands down. Mm-hmm. That, 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 what was I say? I have sent <laughs> several of my, my team members to therapy, to Joanne. Like, I just, I love her so much. She specializes in postpartum, where she really specializes, where she was at the hospital, was um, women who deliver stillborn babies and the grieving process of that. So that was really her job. So I think she's so good at it. But I think you, you, and Katie left that part of the story out is she actually had asked me or she had, she had made a comment and I said, you need to see a therapist. And I didn't give her an option. I set her up with an appointment previous to this. So this is not her first, like she was already seeing Joanne, but she had kind of fallen off the, mm-hmm. the wagon because I think we think that, oh, I'm feeling better. I don't need somebody. I don't need to go to therapy. Like, why do I need to go to therapy? Like, I can handle this. I'm guilty of this. I am 100% guilty of it. And so she had gone to see Joanne and Joanne actually was the one who said to her, you are not okay. And you have got to go. Like you do, it's not a choice. Like you are going to the hospital because yeah. I don't know, Katie, if you ever would have gone to the hospital, if she wouldn't have said to you, you have to go. Yeah. It, and I will say like, this was a point too of like, I when you are in what is a psychotic episode, you there is no like base of reality. The things that were happening in my mind were so out of this world, outlandish that I went to Joanne. So I had been seeing her prior to this and then school started and, you know, I can make all the excuses in the world, but I dropped off. And I actually wasn't seeing her at that time. I, my best friend had texted me and she she was like, it had been a couple days and she's like, 
are you okay? And by this point, I was like, probably day three of a complete, uh, the only way, best way I can describe it is a psychotic episode. And I text her back and I was like, I don't think I'm okay. Like, I don't, I don't know because I was so out of touch with reality. I didn't even know if what I was thinking or seeing or anything was real. And she actually texted my husband and said, you are going to get her into her therapist right now. If she won't text, you are going to call and get her in there now. So I told her, told my best friend, I was like, no, no, like I'm okay. Like I will do it. I will text her. So when I went in there, when I got into Joanne, I was in like day five of this episode. And I guess just to give some context to that, it was really a lot of intrusive thoughts. Um, I know we talk a lot about this when moms have postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Um, but it was like crazy things that could never possibly happen. Like, what if this butter knife slips from my hand and ricochets across the room into my child's head? Like, it was things that like could not ever possibly happen. And then the thoughts, like I kind of turned on myself and I was like, am I that person? Could I hurt my child? And it was never like I would hurt them. It was, does that make sense? It was the thoughts Mm -hmm. of like that this could possibly happen. I was never like, I am going to hurt them or anything like that. And that's where those sort of intrusive thoughts of could I hurt them became, if these don't stop, I'm going to kill myself. So when I went into Joanne, I was on like day five of these very scary thoughts of like, you know, we we talk about like falling down the stairs and the baby falling and we we have fears of these things. Um, and I know, Brooke, you can probably touch on this, but this is a lot of our brain's way of protecting us and protecting our children, right? But it becomes different. Like my thoughts became intrusive and obsessive. So when I went into Joanne, I did, and I think this is a testament to how far women will go to hide this or mothers will go to hide this, that I I don't know for me, like what the fear per se was of sharing this. But I, when I got there, I asked Joanne, I was like, can my husband come in with me? And I looked at her and I was like, I won't tell you the truth. I won't. Like, if he's not sitting, because I had very openly been sharing with my husband everything that was happening, which we have a very good relationship for anyone who knows Ben or he's an amazing human being. And he was the one person that I trusted with probably the most horrible thing you could ever think of, right? So he went in with me. And when we were in there, she said, you have to go to the hospital. You cannot go home. And she called the hospital and they were expecting me when I got there and everything. But I think that's something else as we talk about depression, suicide, psychosis, whatever it may be, is that even in that moment, I was still trying to, I was like, I would rather kill myself than tell you what's happening. Like I just was, because I thought I was a monster at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 
Oh, well, I remember, I'm trying to remember how it unfolded. It was scary. Like it was like, I saw, I looked at my phone and it was Ben calling and I was like, why is Ben calling me? And then he's he's like telling me all this stuff. And I'm just like sitting on the stairs, going down to my basement. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Because I think you hit it so well with like everyday life is the issue is like you you made it seem like you said, like it was so normal. And I remember always being like, you need to get some sleep. You need to take care of yourself. Like, what are you doing? Like, well, you know, why aren't you eating or like always just drinking, you know, coffee. And, but I knew you had like a lot of anxiety. So, you know, I remember, and you just got on the phone and you were just like trying to explain it. And I just felt like so terrified for you. It was scary. Like, it's not, I know we're like kind of laughing now, like, but it was very scary in the moment. And I guess this is something to, I will say I, well, both of you already know this, but I took six months off. I took a break from social media. I really just like reset my entire life. And when I came back, I decided that I wanted to talk about this because no one I knew on the internet, but in the millions and billions of people out there was saying that something like this ever happened to them. And then I felt like, and this obviously aligns with the work that I already do in creating communities for moms and supporting moms. I kind of felt like I wanted to share this journey and share what happened because I didn't want other moms to feel alone. And, you know, sometimes people message and they reach out to us. And I, you know, think Elizabeth knows this as well. And you don't realize that like, when you start sharing something, no matter how fucked up it is, Mm -hmm. you are not alone. And that was really important and part of my healing process, but also I think for other moms and having this conversation now, right? Like you're not, you're not alone. And Brooke, you probably would, you probably see this, right? Because you're on the other end of it. Like you see moms coming in, but you can't share that. That's not, you know, can't be like, guess what happened today? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's it's sad because I've had a lot of conversations with clients and friends too, of there's no like a middle ground for care, right? Like you're either like, okay. Or, you know, maybe you were really comfortable talking with your OB and you're like, "Ah, I just feel like the baby blues have gone past those first two weeks. Like I just feel like sad or, you know, like a heaviness or I'm a little anxious or I've had some intrusive thoughts, medication. Great then there's this next level of care that I feel like a lot of women actually fall into where they need like two therapy sessions a week, a support group, like something that will help prevent them from escalating to inpatient hospitalization, you know? And Mm -hmm. I've had several clients like, do I have to want to kill myself to be able to get the support that I need? And I'm unfortunately in America pretty much. Yes. I mean, there's a few places luckily in Michigan that I can refer to that kind of offer that middle ground but then they're really hard to get into insurance doesn't always cover it you know it feels like women don't they don't think they have the right to pause you know to to stop working 
or to take some time away from their kids in order to do this, to take time away from their spouse or whatever responsibilities they have to really focus on their mental health. And a lot of women don't say anything because they think that their children are going to be taken away. Like that is the number one thing of like, I don't want to say something. I'm so scared of going to the hospital because they're going to take my kids. Like CPS is going to show up and they're going to say that I'm a bad mom and there goes my children. And how did we get here that women can't ask Mm -hmm. for help without fear of punishment? Like it's, it's so ludicrous to me because your brain the hormonal shift you have after birth is the biggest hormonal shift you will ever experience in your life. And your brain really goes into this primal mode. And I've talked about this before where you are hyper-focused on safety. So yes, we talk about, you know, the more common intrusive thoughts of stairs or, you know, other things like that, but we don't talk about how it can get so graphic. Like I had postpartum anxiety after my second birth um, with justice and I would be sitting in my car and I'd be driving and I'd be at a stoplight and I would envision the most graphic, violent car accident with all of us Mm -hmm. in it, like details, like blood and gore in seconds. And that's what would happen with all of these different scenarios with stairs. It wasn't just falling down. It was like picturing his head smashing into the concrete and splattering Mm -hmm. everywhere. That's how intense it got. And if you're living with those type of images several times a day, oh yeah, you're, you're going to get to a breaking point. That is so much trauma to carry around all day long. And it's so scary to say, I'm having these thoughts. And even if you have a trusted partner, and I'm so glad that you did, Katie, they still don't understand the gravity. Like I would tell my husband, he's like, okay, well, like, I'll just carry him down the stairs. I'm like, no, I envision you doing it too. Like you trip or like, (laughs) yeah, it's not just like a trip and we fall. Like it's the most intense graphic thing. It's like, I'm watching a horror film, like play out in front of me and it happens in seconds. It's terrifying. And it, feels really shameful and embarrassing to talk about when in reality, the root is that you want your babies to be safe. Like that's where all of it stems from. Even when people get to that suicidal ideation, it's I've become unsafe for my child. And so the only way to keep them safe is to remove myself from the situation. And your brain goes to these crazy drastic measures to keep your babies safe. And we don't yeah. talk about it enough. I I don't think like, and why women feel that way, right? Like they have nobody to talk to is I don't think it's interesting because I was reading some statistics and it said like one in 10 women will experience it. I'm like, that just only one in 10 will experience it. I'm like, that can't be true. Like, I think many women just don't admit it. They go their whole lives and, and it, is it ever cured? Is postpartum ever cured if it's not taken care of? Like, is it just something that you fall out of? Is it something like, that's where I guess I'm curious because most women that I talk to, and I don't know about you, my postpartum came the most. Like when I felt a shift in my body was after that, like baby euphoria, you know, where you're like in that, like that first two weeks where it's like, oh gosh, I just want to smell their head all the time. And then I feel like 
your husband goes back to work, your partner goes back to work or, you know, all these things. And like that mindset kind of shifts and you're alone and you're like left with your thoughts and you have all these things and you still have to take, if you have other children, you still have to take care of your children. Maybe you have to prepare dinner. You have to feed them. You can't nap when your baby naps or maybe you're not tired or there's like all of these things. And I think women just don't, they think it's normal. People think it's normal to experience that. And like you said it, healthcare has not set us up. It is so expensive, one, to find a good therapist. I feel like every therapist that I went through after the death of my parents was through my insurance was awful, like not good. They, yeah, it was cheap because I just had to pay my copay, but I feel like everybody that's good that I'm referred to by somebody else is somebody who only takes Blue Cross Blue Shield or you have to pay out of pocket. And I'm sorry, who has $160 once a week to pay to go see a therapist? Like in reality. Yeah. There is a, it's a, you know, sometimes a luxury, which is really unfortunate. I don't even want to talk about, here's the thing too, right on the back end, like, I don't even want to talk about how expensive that hospital bill was, you guys, to like eat hospital. (laughs) I know I was receiving care, but honestly, after like, 48 hours when I felt stable enough and like was like coming back to myself. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna, this is gonna be a really large bill. Like uh, this country is, yeah, uh, if you're uh, a therapist, like you said, Blue Cross Blue Shield only basically. And that's not the reality. I wonder, I don't even know what the medium income is right now in the US, but that's not the reality for most mm-hmm. people. Mm hmm. And it makes it difficult. Like how are women supposed to seek help? And then on top of that, like, like you were saying, Brooke, like your partner, you tell them that and they're like, oh, well, I can take them down the stairs, but they don't fully grasp it. And I think this goes into another thing. I think when you try to explain that to people, unless they've walked through it, they cannot fathom and understand that you would feel that way or think that, or like, you know, I've even thought to myself, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I had some type of something after my other children. And I just, I'm really good at like suppressing things and denying them or like actually making myself believe a bunch of bullshit. Like it's really easy for him to be like, you're fine. Like nothing was wrong with you. Like you have these babies and it's like this thing where you're supposed to be happy and you have babies and, and you just gave birth and there are people that can't do that. And you're supposed to be so happy. And the reality is, especially, I can't imagine people who don't have support systems. And I really didn't with my fourth. And I think that was, it's not that I, you know, I, I actually, I want to take that back. Maybe it's not that I didn't have it. I didn't know how to ask for help. I still didn't know how to ask for help. And I remember when I did ask for help, I had a friend that like, I just didn't want to be by myself. So she would come over and just sit. And I remember hearing from another friend, she was like, I just can't go over there all the time. Like, and that bothered me so much. It was like, why wouldn't you say that to me? Cause you were calling me like, do you need anything? Do you want me to come over? And I think that really stuck with me. And, and the thought that this is why women don't ask for support is because they do. And then, then they get to hear from another woman, the, the shit that woman was talking. That's awful, by the way. Like, it is, a, that's a whole other conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to go back to your question, you know, do people ever get over it, right, or get through it if they don't seek care? 
there's so many factors with that, you know, hormones, like, are you breastfeeding? Are you not? Did you just stop breastfeeding? Like to go back to your, your statement, Katie, and your appointment of like, I, I'm going to need medication when I stop nursing. Like there's another huge hormonal shift right there. Like that's another like red flag Mm -hmm. of no, like we need to make sure you're okay before you experience another hormonal drop. But anyway, like you need, we we talk about the three S's, like that's kind of what we really drill into our clients and it's sleep, support and self-care. And if you don't have those things or access to those things, it is a lot harder to overcome these obstacles because your intrusive thoughts will get worse when you're not sleeping, when you're not eating, you know, all of those things are when you're alone, right? Like that's what you wanted, Beth. You wanted people to be around. You didn't want to Mm -hmm. be by yourself. If you don't have those three things, if you don't have people that are helping you get those things, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be a good outcome. You're going to struggle. And that's the part that's really, really hard. And I want to address this. We're hiding it well, I don't even think we have the privilege of saying that we're not doing well. Like, like what woman do you know that just feels the freedom to, Hey, I just need to have a mental breakdown. You know, like I don't feel like we're given an option. It's this mentality of, well, you've got to push through and there's other kids to take care of and you have responsibilities at work and you're supposed to be a good wife and you're not really hiding it. You're just, doing what you deem and what everyone deems as normal. You became a mom. Okay. Like it's hard for a few weeks, but then you're into it. Like you got into your groove, you got into the swing of things and just keep going. And I don't think anyone's masking or hiding. They're just doing what they have to do to get through the day. There's two other kids here. Like I can't just stop. So they've got to eat. Yeah. I think a lot of it too, is what we learn in our own childhoods. Like I come from a divorced household and I am sure my mom went through many things, but it was just like, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you get on with it. And those are all things that we learned. And until you're at your breaking point, you don't know that you you don't know otherwise, right? Like you don't know. Well, and we talked about this earlier, like what woman do you know that is like, oh, let me tell you how I'm really doing or without another woman. And I think Elizabeth and I now she can speak for herself, too. But at this point in our stories, I don't give a shit what another woman thinks about me. I've been at my lowest. Mm -hmm. You could never do anything or say anything about me that could hurt me more than what I've already been through. Mm-hmm. So now when I talk about it and say, I'm not doing well, or I'm going away for the weekend, I don't give a shit what you think about me. And it's because I hit that low. But I know there are so many women out there, like you said, who I guess they feel maybe they don't have the freedom or they don't have another option to say yeah. or a safe place to say it. Well, I think I, I want to, so we posted on Detroit, a, like a quote from diary of an honest mom. And it says most mom or moms are constantly caught between the need to be present and the need to be productive. It doesn't just make us feel guilty. It leaves us feeling in a constant state of not enoughness that exhausts us even further. 
88% my poll questions where I feel this deeply and then I'm exhausted. 88% were like, I feel this deeply. And the amount of women that have responded to hundreds of women, hundreds of women in our area have responded to that, just that I feel this deeply. And then one fourth of that is exhausted. You know, like they've, they've reached that. And like, it's things like this that are your constant reminder that so many women, again, go back to so many episodes, suffer in silence and they're so afraid to share it because, you know, like Katie, you said, you don't give a shit anymore, but there are so many women that still do. Like that's the thing is, you know, that we put on this facade that life is great, that everything's great. And then, you know, you hear weeks later, something happened to this person or weeks later that this person's going through something, or you hear it through another friend or whatever the case may be. And you're just like, why are we not creating spaces that feel safe enough to share our, our stories and our truths? And I think it is that we're still afraid no matter how close we are to somebody. I think, you know, it's, it's, nice because Katie and I are kind of to the point, like, obviously we've been through a lot together where we can be like, you know, I'll message her. I'm like, I'm just not okay. Like I'm going through something. I'm not okay. Or her telltale sign generally is like, if she doesn't hear from me for a couple of days, like, like odds are like, because I retreat, like when something heavy is going on for me, I retreat like grief is, you know, holidays are still just as hard as they were from the first holiday. I lost my parents. Their death date is still just as hard. And, you know, my mom had psychosis. I had to have my mom admitted it would have been, I don't know, maybe three or it was like a year before she died and her psychosis, she was never the same person. Like it was something triggered it. She went through this experience. And I think that, you know, it was my dad that had mentioned it because he lived with her, but he didn't know what to do. So I was the one that had her admitted. And I think she just you know, just thinking of the roller coaster of emotions. And I think I could recognize some of those things, but still, I think that you become oblivious to them and you see them except like I, I witnessed my mom in that capacity. And I was just like, Oh, yep. That's, you know, even after like, she was just never the same person. She was never, never the same woman. And I look back and she had no one to talk to. She, you know, I think I had I had anger towards her because I was like, why can't I just have a normal mom? So I think I felt a lot of those things. And I think maybe that's why we hide them too, because we don't want our kids to see them or our kids to question or wonder why we are depressed or, you know, like maybe they did something, you know, I think there's like so many layers to it, but it wasn't until after her her death that I really forgave her, but it took a long time. It was probably just recently that I actually forgave her like through like a breathwork session. But I think I held a lot of that resentment because I didn't understand it at the time because I hadn't lost my mom yet. And which means I hadn't experienced postpartum depression. And because I hadn't walked that journey myself of depression, I couldn't understand it. And so I couldn't have empathy for her. And I still feel I, there are days or times when I think about it, when I, where I still carry a lot of guilt that she didn't have support. And then I wasn't available to give it because I didn't necessarily know how. And in the same vein of that, we were also, my dad had just been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. So I was like, so I was like, what the hell is going on in my life? You know? And I was mad about it. And so I think a lot of my anger that stemmed into my postpartum was like the anger 
of like my parents leaving me to like just have my like to do it on my own and so I think there's so many layers to why women just don't share and I think that's why it took me so long to even admit there was something wrong with me I feel like this is like the wholeness of this Brooke when you said like we don't we just keep going right like we're like we have to do this we have to feed the kids we have to have to have to have to and then as Beth is seeing here, all of these things have built up and they really, when you break, you break. And it's not just this, I, I I don't know if you feel like this in your therapy and everything that you know, because this is an opinion on my end, but like all of these things accumulate and it's not, for me, it wasn't just like, oh, you have postpartum depression. So just to clarify and add this in, I, when this happened, when I was hospitalized, I was 18 months postpartum with my daughter. This was not a baby blues into postpartum situation. And I think in those 18 months, we were, I found out I was pregnant with Lenny right before we went on lockdown. So we're going into COVID and I had, you know, some different things go on with her pregnancy and the reason I wasn't eating enough was because she was colicky. So I basically cut my diet down to nothing. But all of these things, like Beth said, built and built and built. And then, you know, okay, she didn't can't know how to handle the anger and grief and all of the things she felt from her parents. And then she's pregnant and then she has a baby and she has a baby in October, which we all know is also difficult because you're coming in, you know, if you're in Michigan or in the Midwest area, you're coming into winter and it's isolating. And I don't know how you feel about that, Brooke. My whole point here is that these things build and then we break. I know there are obviously isolated incidents, but. No, you're spot on because even in my training, right, they talk about factors that kind of predispose people to have a higher chance of having postpartum depression or anxiety. And there's like a laundry list of things and it's, you know, financial status, like poverty was their trauma, you know, all of these things that put people at an increased risk. And yet (laughs) providers aren't taking an account of those things too. and, And double checking. I mean, I had a stillbirth Nobody ever checked in on me afterwards. No one, no provider ever did. I'm like, uh, <laughs> like, hello, <laughs> you know, like, how not only that, how I is that a thing? Have, not only could I have postpartum depression, but I also didn't come home with my baby. So you would think like the chances of me having that are skyrocketed, but not, uh, no, nobody, I... nobody checked. I'm like dumbfounded. Like, I don't know what to say to that. Oh, okay. So here, obviously, this is a whole other factor in conversation, right? But it's not just mothers with living children. Like anyone Mm -hmm. who was pregnant at any point in time, right? Which is that like a clinical, like, if you were pregnant, like even if you had an early miscarriage, could you? Is that still considered like postpartum? You still, have, 
you still have hormonal shifts. I think that depending on the provider, I don't know if they would quantify it as such. Ugh. But still, like you, you, I mean, the point is we should yeah. definitely be checking on more mothers in general. And then also the people that have some of these factors that put them at an increased risk. Yeah, we, we should be checking in on them for sure. We should be alerting their support system, like educating, you know, shoot, like if someone notices something in the hospital, why isn't that a normal part of the postpartum recovery wing of having a mental health professional come in and just educate, right? Like even if you can't assess things in the first 48 hours after birth, sure. But educating your the partner that's there, or whoever is the support people that are there with that mom of here's what to look for. Here's what's not normal. You know, nobody came to check on me. I was in the hospital for a whole week after my stillbirth. I didn't send anybody. It's like, hello. And why aren't we, why aren't we doing a better job as women who could potentially, or have experienced it supporting other women too? Do you know what I mean? Whereas like, I feel like we do a really good job of like, oh my God, the baby's so cute. I brought this for the baby, but what are we actually doing for her? What are we, you know, I, one of my best friends just had a baby and I'm not there. I'm still in Alaska. And I said the hard, I remember the two, two, three month mark. Remember when the baby was coming out of like that really sleepy phase and like they're more active. I felt less like myself in those times. Like, right. When you can just relate and they're sleeping. And I was just thinking, I was like, she's had all the resources. She knows how to do all the things, the somatic techniques, everything. And even for myself, I had, I did placenta encapsulation. I did, um, Oh my gosh, with the needles. Um, acupuncture? Yes, I did acupuncture because it's supposed to help with, you know, postpartum depression. Like I took all of these precautions prior and did my research and stuff. And I still was in the place of postpartum. Like I was still in that place. So I had said to her, I was like, you know, it's so interesting. Everyone comes over to support you when you first have your baby, but nobody's checking in on you at month two, at month three, at month four, they're like, oh, you're good. Right. And I, we have a mutual friend, her name's Jen, and she's like the best baker. And if you've been around Detroit mom, she's just amazing. And so I meant, I'd said to her, I said, I want to make a bunch, could you make some food? You know, pay to make some food for Lauren and take it over to her. She was already going to do it. So we like went in on it and just all, all kinds of stuff. And she, Lauren messaged me today and she said, you want to know what? She's like, nobody's brought us food. And a minute Jen walked in, I just started crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, nobody's brought us a dish. Like if you're a friend of mine, you're going to get a lasagna period. You have a baby, <laughs> you get a lasagna from the, <laughs> the Italian bakery. You're going to get one in some capacity. And I think like most, that's the thing is nobody's checking in on us past this, like one week, two week, like three week, or when, you know, checking in on our partners. Like, I was just grateful that I had friends, you know, that were, I mean, obviously I have friends that are in my realm and know what questions to ask, but you know, if I was like, I'm fine. They're like, mm, okay, no, like really, yeah. <laughs> come on, come out with yeah. it. Like, how are you really doing? And to not just let each other get away with those flippant answers. Because guess what I learned on my third birth that apparently day three is the worst hormonal drop. 
And it wasn't until I told one of my colleagues, like, I had a really bad night last night. It was like third day home with the baby and I wouldn't let my husband go to sleep. I was like, I'm so anxious. I'm scared I'm going to die. Like I'm having all these Mm -hmm. thoughts that I'm going to die. I'm like running cold water on my wrist to try to calm my nervous system and like doing all the tricks that I know. And I... I was like, I'm afraid to be by myself. I'm afraid to be with the baby. And they're like, oh yeah. Like it's like, it's that third, it's that third day, that hormonal drop. I was like, what? Why are people not telling us this in the hospital? Like got to watch for night three. Like it could be really, it could be bad. It might not be, but it could be really bad for you. And then the next morning I was okay. You know, I had that switch, but it was really scary. We're, we're just also just not educated of things that happen in our own freaking bodies. Yeah. And no one's there to tell, like, I think we all know that America is not doing well in this category. Whereas like all these other countries, they have all of this support, whether it's from their families or whether it's from outside support that is provided through hospitals and things like that. We are failing our mothers in this sense, because, you know, other countries, they go home and someone's there for a week or a month or whatever it may be. And to have someone there saying, oh, this is normal, or this is what's happening to you during this time. And I'm going to be like, here, definitely like what Beth is saying about like, supporting moms and things like that. But up until everything that happened with me, I could not have supported another mother because I was fucking drowning. I can't show up for you because I'm not even showing up for me. Not now, very different now. But, you know, I think that systematically, like we say, like, well, no one's supporting us or, you know, Lauren's here and she's like, no one's dropped off food. But all the moms are drowning and our own mothers didn't receive that support. So they're just like, you're fine because I was fine and they don't remember all of the things, you know, I don't, it feels systematic, honestly, in terms of support. No. That's such a good, that's such a good point. Cause you look at friend groups too, and everyone starts having kids around the same time, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's around the same age. You're all dealing with the same struggles. You can barely put dinner on your own table, yeah. let alone make it happen for a friend. Yeah. yeah it, I think that's really like, it's not that I didn't want to, It's that I literally couldn't because at the end of every day, I had expended everything I had on any of the things that were happening in my own home and life, which is sad. We just don't have this community. I would like to say like it is very different now for me in the ways that I show up for people. But prior, I don't I just don't think I could have, you know, like. Now, Beth is someone who's very empathetic and just like wants people to feel all the love all the time. So I think you've always been like that though. And I have always been like that. And even if I, if I was drowning, I would still show up for you. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter in in my mind, it's me. And this is what I want to say, because going back to what you said, I'm not shaming anyone for not doing those things, right? Like I'm not, because everybody's at such a different phase in their life or their motherhood journey or their experience. I'm saying for me, I act, I do what I have to do because for me, I don't have my parents. And like Lauren had did, she did say 
or like just recent, like last night, her friend Lindsay had made dinner for them. So Lindsay, if you're listening, I'm acknowledging, um, but <laughs> just, just kind of saying that, you know, I know not everybody's there. And also I know not everybody thinks about that stuff, right? I think it's like, I am naturally a nurturer and I do want people to feel, you know, like I know that I needed in the days that I was postpartum, I needed that. It was like, I remember someone bringing me food and I, I remember how it felt and how loved on I felt just by a meal. Like when, when I was sick, somebody literally, and they still didn't acknowledge themselves. They sent like, oh, so much food to our house from Uber Eats and like, no, 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 anything, never said anything. Just literally, I'm telling you bags and bags of food. I can't remember if it's like when I lost my dad or something, but it wasn't like right after I lost my dad, it was like a period after that. And it was like that recognition of like, I know that maybe you're being so loved on this first couple of weeks because this is so new, but what happens after that? And like, that's the thing, like, I'm not judging people who are not like that. Right. And it's taken me a, like, cause I, I don't think that I could wrap my head around why people don't show up for people. But I think that I've always wanted that. Like I would live in a commune if I could, <laughs> I, I really would like, I would literally live in a commune. Like we were here in Alaska and we went to the Alaska Heritage Festival or the Heritage Museum. The way Alaskans live and how different, like community driven, how like tribes and, you know, clans and all of this, everything was so community driven. Everyone showed up for everybody else. That's what I desire. Yeah, I would love to take care of, you know, I'd love to take care of somebody else's kids. If somebody was like, oh my God, I'm just really going through, I, you know, I need support please give them to me. Even, even if it's a lot on me, right? Like, but I think when you have that support, that weight isn't there like that, that, that feeling that you had Katie, right? You're expressing like you're drowning. If you were able to express, this is how I feel. This is what I'm experiencing. If people were able to show up for one another, would it still feel that way? Would you still feel like you're unable to do it because you're drowning. And I think that's such a lost thing, right? We live in such a society that's focused so on me. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, I feel like other, we can't begin to show up for other moms because not, I guess, not the three of us. I, you know what I, I mean? In general, like other moms may feel they can't show up for other moms. And even now, like you and I show up very differently. Like I'm the Venmo friend. When you're struggling, you're getting a Venmo. <laughs> Can I actually show up with coffee or whatever? Probably not because I'm still in this phase of three kids madness. But are you getting a Venmo from me? You you are for dinner, for yeah. whatever. I usually am very specific and will be like, no, you are going to get a pedicure with this money. Do not spend it on anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but I I think that's what is like what to what you're saying we have to start showing up in community for each other. And then we won't feel like we're in those places. I don't feel in that place anymore. And if I'd asked for help, then if I had asked for help, you know, three years ago when I needed it, things probably would have been really different, but I didn't. <laughs> so I would have came, came to sit with, sit with your baby. That's why I say to everybody, just, you have to tell, we aren't no. mind readers. Like we we as women are not mind readers. And I understand not everybody's in the position to do that, but how different would it look as we each enter these phases of life and and childbirth and problems in our marriages or partnerships or whatever, how different would it look if we could wholeheartedly lean on each other for support? Like how different would that feel? What would it, I long for that. I long for that. Like I have 
amazing friends. And I continue to build that up where it's like when, when we're going through something, we can support each other in that fashion because something as simple as a dinner can change your whole day, your whole week. Like Mm -hmm. knowing like you can just go to the freezer and pull something out, knowing that you could do all this stuff. And I think it's such a lost art of caring for other people in that capacity of like, you don't have the time, just send them this. But like, again, not everybody's in that space to mentally take that on or do that. And I am aware of that, but I'm like, what could we do on our end to create more of a safer space or a more courageous space, or I don't know what kind of space where women feel safe enough to feel seen and heard and not judged for what they're experiencing in life. Or some of us were never taught to show up for other women. So I don't think we know how to do that. It's not something that's innate. So how can we show women how to do that or or teach our children? How can we teach our children? And for women listening right now, if you're listening and you're like, I've never experienced that, listen for another woman. Listen, not just for yourself or to hear our stories or our experiences. Listen, because one day you might have a friend that experiences this. And one day you, you never know, like you could be that woman walking through that and remember this podcast and how you can relate to that. I think that's the thing, right? As all of this stuff has the ability to, you know, show you how to show up for somebody else if you are able, if you are capable, if you are in that space, but if you don't share that and if you don't make it an effort, I think it's really impossible. You know, I think there, there, and I think as I'm talking about this stuff, I think there's so many layers to this and, you know, Brooke, I, I don't know if you have resources we can share. Obviously we have our therapy guides, so we'll share that in there. And therapy doesn't have to be a forever thing. And also kind of talking about having options is a privilege. So like Brooke, most therapists offer, do a lot of therapists offer. So if someone came to you and they're like, my husband doesn't have a job. We just had a baby. I'm all this stuff. We don't have the money. Do you have space for people like that, that don't have the funds or the ability to seek help? I think most therapists have, well, I shouldn't say most, a lot of therapists have what they call a sliding scale fee. You know, you explain your situation and they have specific spots on their schedule for those types of clients. Yeah. So there is help if not, out though, there. Like, yeah. If not, an ethical therapist will help you find someone that takes your insurance. Like they, they will, they will refer you to someone that takes your insurance. Yeah. And it's, and again, like I, oh, something I wanted to say that I didn't get to, like, you can't take care of other people or show up for other people if you're not taking care of yourself. So I think this is also a big piece to the depression part, right? Leading into that. I know I wasn't taking care of myself. After my parents died, I don't even know. I didn't know who I was. I was so lost. I was like growing a baby and doing all this stuff. I just didn't know what to do. So I think that, you know, that's that's something that to to think about too. And I think there's probably a part two in this. You know, I, I think this is just the beginning of this conversation. And I just, you know, you know, I'm grateful, Katie, that you wanted to come on and share this because that was, you know, it's so crazy. It was three years ago and I remember it. So I think part of it was so scary, you know, as your friend on this side that I disassociated from some of it. So like, as you're talking, kind of remembering it and the feeling, cause I was scared not only for you, but like not having you in my life. And so I think there's those pieces too. And so just really honored that you, you share that. And I think you're, you're helping so many women 
on our on platforms, you know, like Lansing Mom, Detroit Mom, feel less alone. So I think that's the big thing is just helping women. Our job here in the podcast and anything else is to hope we hope that you feel seen in someone's story. And remember, you can always reach out to them in DMs. You know, we're always open to that. So in the show notes, we'll have that. We'll include the therapy guide and any other resources that we talked about. Maybe Brooke, we can talk about some resources we can add in there as well. But you know, thank you guys. This is one of our longer episodes. Thank you for being here and listening. And we're just really grateful that you, you know, took the time to listen this far. And if you know, you need anything, don't forget to reach out and I hope you have the best day. Bye guys.